Pentagon and Google Artificial Intelligence are teaming up to test on military veterans. Can traffic in the outer space change our view of the night sky? Hundreds of astronomers have signed on a report to petition this. A new study shows that hand grip muscular strength can identify if you are at the risk of type 2 diabetes. Psychologists find that teenagers and adolescents' perception of their parents can lead to cyberbullying behavior. Finally, when are the coronavirus vaccines coming? CDC announces that states should be ready to distribute vaccines by November 1st. We discuss the state of COVID vaccines in the drug pipeline currently in phase 3. New discoveries and innovations in science, politics, finance, and culture that direct the course of our future are reported daily in academic journals but rarely make it to the mainstream news. These research journals contain transformative ideas and discoveries from the sharpest minds around the world. In this podcast, we study the research papers and bring you the main ideas so you stay sharp and prepared to make timely and intelligent decisions. I'm your host, Daniel Fengon, and you're listening to Tiger Minds. Good day, folks. It is Friday, September 4th. We begin today with news from the Pentagon that they are teaming up with Google to develop a new artificial intelligence model to detect cancer in military veterans. Google's new machine learning model is expected to help doctors using microscopes in mapping out cancer, allowing the study of its distinct structure. According to Google, there are two goals they aim to achieve with the Pentagon program. Number one, better patient outcome in relation to diagnosis and two, to create some efficiency in helping doctors go through the large volume of data that they deal with. Currently, the gold standard of cancer diagnosis requires a pathologist doctor to go through thousands of slides and images to identify the tumor areas. This is very time-consuming. With this new partnership, a limited set of military hospitals and VA facilities will test out the new Google AI to serve as the pathologist, what they call virtual assistant as they examine the slides. So these are the microscopes that will have this particular new AI model integrated into them. Machine learning algorithms are really effective in performing tasks that require combing through large amounts of data and looking for features. The objective is to start the analysis on more targeted cancers as they're called prostate colon breast cancer and then once that is done Possibly as the model improves and the AI improves, the program can also expand to other kinds of cancers, uh, leading to more further improvements of not just the diagnosis, but also of the technology itself. Now, if you remember, this partnership between Pentagon and Google had caused some concerns early on when it was first announced, even within Google employees, raising concerns whether this partnership is headed towards weapons development. And now it is very exciting to see that the direction they have taken is, at least at this point, more into medical technologies. Next, hundreds of astronomers have signed on a petition that space debris and traffic in space will fundamentally change our view of the night sky if active measures are not taken. At the end of June, more than 250 astronomers, engineers, satellite operators attended an event virtually called SATCON 1. This was a virtual meeting to discuss the mega constellation of low Earth orbit satellites, or LEOSATs for short, and how they would affect the night sky. This report raised concerns that these mega constellations of satellites that are put into orbit, different from the single satellites that are currently in use, could fundamentally change our view of the night sky in the future. Now, in contrast to the single satellites that are currently in space, 
these mega constellation of satellites are hundreds and thousands of satellites that are all working together and this could potentially cause a problem of traffic in space and astronomers have raised a concern and satellite operators have raised this as a potential problem for the future. Now the report says that if 100,000 or more of these LEOSATs proposed by many companies and many governments are deployed, no combination of mitigations can fully avoid the impact of the satellite trail on science programs of current and planned ground-based astronomy facilities, end quote. In other words, if these mega constellations are deployed in the way they are currently being done, the astronomy facilities from Earth that are using these big telescopes trying to view outer space are going to have a problem where all these mega constellations will hinder that view. So this is a genuine concern that these constellations of satellites can fundamentally change our view of the night sky. So we will get into why this is important. So why now? Why have astronomers started to raise flags now? What has changed recently? In May 2019, the company SpaceX launched over 650 satellites into outer space at the same time, with goal to send out even more. The Starlink constellation is what they called it, is a mega constellation of low Earth orbiting satellites, has already affected astronomical observations from the beginning of this endeavor. And this is concerning to the scientists about what the full constellation and other proposed LEOSATs uh, would do to the night sky. The report goes on to suggest a few strategies to mitigate this problem. Uh, the obvious strategy that they've proposed is to stop the launch of the mega constellations altogether. But if politicians and scientists are not going to regulate these launches, then the scientists have also proposed possibly having these satellites orbit at lower altitudes so that it doesn't hinder or obstruct the space observations. This is a real concern that these LEOSATs will ultimately form a barrier in space such that space observations from Earth will be challenging. So why do we need these mega constellations? What is their purpose? The purpose of Starlink constellation from SpaceX is to set up a satellite internet service. This broadband internet service will be able to provide internet access to the most remote parts of the world. In addition, a major objective of SpaceX is to colonize the planet Mars, and a satellite-based internet will form the infrastructure for communication between Earth and the planet Mars. There is certainly a lot of excitement in this field, but a lot of consequences of these missions like accumulating space debris that are also being taken into serious consideration. New research published in the journal Annals of Medicine, scientists at the University of Bristol in Eastern Finland found a link between hand grip strength and the risk of type 2 diabetes. They measured the muscular hand grip strength of men and women without a history of diabetes over a 20-year period and demonstrated that the risk of type 2 diabetes was reduced by about 50% for every unit increase in hand grip strength value. Diabetes in all forms is the ninth major cause of death in the world. It is expected that if nothing changes, more than 5 million people will have developed diabetes by 2025. There's a lot of factors that affect diabetes, including age, obesity, family history, lifestyle factors, physical inactivity, unhealthy diet, excessive alcohol, and all of these contribute substantially to the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. However, these factors alone do not explain all of the risk for type 2 diabetes. It appears that other factors may be involved. Reduced muscle strength has consistently been linked to early death cardiovascular diseases and disability. In this latest study, 
The researchers from Bristol Medical School, Eastern Finland's Institute of Public Health and Clinical Nutrition, followed 776 men and women aged 60 to 72 years old without a history of diabetes over a 20-year period. And they measured the power of their hand grip strength. Literally, the task was to squeeze a handle for 5 seconds. The results showed that the risk of type 2 diabetes was reduced by about 50% for every unit increase in hand grip strength value. In other words, as their hand grip strength value increased by one point, the risk for type 2 diabetes was reduced by half. This association was there even after taking into account several other factors that can affect type 2 diabetes, such as family history that we talked about, physical activity, hypertension, waist size, and fasting glucose levels. When the information on hand grip strength was added to these established list of factors that has been known for a long time to predict type 2 diabetes, the prediction for type 2 diabetes in this population improved further. Adding that critical piece of information, which is their hand grip strength over time, was seemed to be a very important predictor for type 2 diabetes. Importantly, the findings appeared to be substantial in women compared to men when they did a gender-specific analysis it showed that women were more likely to benefit from the use of this potential screening tool to identify the potential risk of type 2 diabetes. This is an important study and potentially life-saving because it's a low-cost, high-value screening tool for identifying the risk of type 2 diabetes. But there still needs to be a lot more studies that need to be performed to confirm this across populations. The investigators of this study point out that the results here are based on a Finnish population, and so a larger study is required to replicate these findings in other populations, and specifically in men versus women. So additional tests need to be run, but this finding suggests that along with other factors, improving muscle strength through resistance training can potentially reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes. A new study from scientists at NYU in New York published in the International Journal of Bullying Prevention suggests that teenagers, adolescents who think their parents are loving are less likely to be cyberbullies. Cyberbullying is a major issue today. It is prevalent among teenagers and adolescent groups. In particular, everyone's got a smartphone, and while bullying has always been prevalent in schools, cyberbullying means that has continued into the home lives of these teenagers. More than half of U.S. teens report having experience with cyberbullying or online behavior that may involve harassment, insults, threats, and spreading rumors. Especially during this COVID time when everybody is stuck home and without any face-to-face -face interaction with their friends and mostly interacting to each other through cell phones and social media, there are more opportunities for cyberbullying to occur. This study used data from the World Health Organization Health Behavior in School-Aged Children Survey. Teenagers were asked if their parents are loving, and they were asked to respond yes or no. They found that teens who responded no or almost never were over six times more likely to engage in high levels of cyberbullying than those who answered yes, that their parents were loving. The researchers found that the more adolescents perceived their parents as loving, the less likely they were to engage in cyberbullying. Other types of emotional support, including how much the teenagers felt their parents help and understand them, also contributed to the likelihood of whether these young people engaged in cyberbullying behavior. This finding points out something that everybody has talked about, which is the importance of parental emotional support as a major factor in the teenagers' behaviors. 
The author goes on to stress that it is not necessarily if the parents think they are being supportive, but what their adolescents think. Parents should strive to discern their teenager's perception of parental emotional support as it might be associated with youth cyberbullying behavior, end quote. The researchers note that educators, health professionals, even social media experts who are working in youth development should take family dynamics into account when creating programs to address cyberbullying. This study certainly doesn't prove that a lack of parental support directly causes cyberbullying, but it does suggest that child's relationship with their parents might influence their cyberbullying behavior. Finally, we get to coronavirus. This week, CDC announced that states should be ready to distribute vaccines as early as November 1st. CDC Director Robert Redfield sent the letter to governors informing them that the government is contracting with certain companies to distribute the vaccine to local health departments and doctor's offices, and that it was the local government's job to expedite any application for distribution facilities requested by the company. Since this news broke out, there has been many questions and concerns about its validity given November 1st, its proximity to election date. Now, there has been a lot of news about coronavirus vaccines. In particular, China and Russia have already claimed to have approved vaccines, but without waiting for the results of phase three trials. Experts say that that rushed process for getting the drugs out could have serious risks. So we will now discuss the candidate coronavirus vaccines currently in the pipeline that has reached phase three. Now, a quick primer on the drug development process. Most drugs start in the preclinical stage where they are tested in the lab in animal models and then enters phase one followed by phase two, where the objective is to ensure safety and find the right dosage of those drugs or vaccines. In the case of COVID vaccine during phase three, which is ongoing, scientists have given the candidate vaccine to thousands of people and are waiting to see whether they get infected compared to the volunteers who received a placebo. These trials can determine if the vaccine protects against coronavirus. In June, the FDA said that a coronavirus would be approved as long as it is able to protect at least 50% of the vaccinated people, and then it would be considered effective. So it is important and critical that phase three results come out before a drug is approved. So why did the CDC make the announcement of November 1st? Currently, there are nine candidate vaccines that are in phase three across the world. So these are vaccines that have passed the animal testing as well as safety and dosage studies in smaller groups of human subjects and are currently being tested in tens of thousands of people around the world. These are usually multi-site endeavors, so there are enough controls to avoid biases in the tested population. The first one is the biotech company Moderna, developing vaccines based on messenger RNA to produce the viral proteins in the body. The second one is a collaboration between Pfizer and a German company, BioNTech, also similarly working on an mRNA-based vaccine. And in addition to these two groups, there is another group working on a viral vector-based vaccine. This is AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford that have a vaccine with the viral vector named Chadox-1. AstraZeneca has indicated that they might be able to start delivering emergency vaccines as early as October depending on the outcome of the studies. Now, the Chinese and the Russian vaccines that were approved without phase 3 data were also viral vector-based coronavirus vaccines. Now, these are the vaccines that use a virus to deliver the coronavirus genes into cells, 
and then the cells make the viral proteins that results in an immune response. But the virus cannot replicate itself. Now, this is different from the mRNA-based virus uh, vaccines that are being worked out. Now, the groups working on this technology are CanSino Biologics in China and Gamaleya Research Institute as part of Russia's Ministry of Health. Now, in addition to this, there are about 35 to 40 other companies working on coronavirus vaccines currently in the preclinical to phase two stages of vaccine development. And it remains to be seen which ones will be successful. Some of these companies, including Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and AstraZeneca, are part of U.S. government's Operation Warp Speed, OWS, which aims to deliver 300 million doses of a safe and effective vaccine for COVID-19 by January 2021. The waiting game continues as we await the results of Phase 3 testing. There are still uncertainties and a lot of testing that needs to be done. But it is very exciting to see the concerted efforts from many groups around the world and the optimism from governments that are investing in laying the infrastructure ahead of the drug approval so that the factories will be equipped to mass produce the vaccines once they're approved and thus reach the market much quicker. And that's it for today's episode, folks. Thank you for listening to the Tiger Minds podcast, where we bring you new ideas and discoveries on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Tiger Minds Podcast. See you next time.